It's a cold day in November 1982 in Washington, D.C. Harley-Davidson is fighting for its life. The company has requested a hearing with the International Trade Commission, and it's about to happen. After weathering decades of battering from foreign competitors, the Milwaukee company is getting crushed by the big four Japanese imports, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, and the mighty Honda. Harley has one last hope to survive, convince the U.S. government to levy a heavy import tariff against the Japanese. The company petitioned the government to do this in the 1950s. They were turned down. In a hearing room in the Trade Commission building near Capitol Hill, a Harley lawyer speaks. Commissioners, Harley-Davidson has always specialized in manufacturing heavyweight motorcycles. This has been our traditional niche. Now the Japanese are making machines in that category and dumping them in America in such numbers that they're creating a glut on the market. In 1981, there are more than 200,000 bikes imported from Japan. In that same year, Harley makes only about 41,000 cycles. And Honda bikes are selling at less than half the price of Harley's, which can cost up to $7,000. I see internal investors bought back your company last year from AMF. That's correct, sir, but at this stage it's still a struggle. All we're asking for is a period to get back on our feet. Testimony goes on for three weeks. Harley dealers, current and former employees, step up to testify to the financial and personal suffering they've endured due to the enormous influx of Japanese machines. The three commissioners agree with the accusation of dumping, and they grant Harley's wish. A tariff of 45% will be added to the current 4.4% rate for all heavyweight import bikes. It will last five years. In 1983, President Ronald Reagan signs the order, saving the aging, beleaguered company from certain death. The plan works. Harley is thrilled, and the healing can begin. Reagan visits the company's facility in York, Pennsylvania. With a huge Harley-Davidson banner behind him and receptive audience before, he says a few words. Well, after being shown around this plant, it seems to me I've come to hog heaven. <laughs> One thing's for sure, when it comes to motorcycles, this is the home of the all-American A-Team. Of course, that's not what a lot of people were saying about you just a few years ago. Some people said that you couldn't make the grade. They said you couldn't keep up with foreign competition. They said that Harley-Davidson was running out of gas and sputtering to a stop. Well, the people who say that that American workers and American companies can't compete are making one of the oldest mistakes in the world. They're betting against America itself, and that's a bet no one will ever win. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today.
Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. Recent decades have found Harley-Davidson fighting financial nightmares, fierce competition from Japan, and a revitalized arch-rival, Indian motorcycles, along with an aging image. In the last episode, the Milwaukee company was forever linked with the Hells Angels and drug-fueled hippies, thanks to writer Hunter Thompson and the film Easy Rider. It's a connection that disgusts Harley's old guard, but visionary upstart designer Willie G. Davidson embraces the trend. You're listening to our six-part series, Harley and the Biker Wars. This is the final episode, Live to Ride. In Milwaukee, a new era has begun. The new Harley-Davidson company is living up to its life. They've given Harley a new image and made their motorcycles more interesting to those who now ride the machines. Harley the achieved country. this modernization, sacrificing none of the unique characters. As oil tight as a thermos. More power at every engine. Uh, Harley does something that no other motorcycle does. If you want to find out for yourself, go ride one. By the mid-1980s, Harley is on the comeback trail with a revised agenda. Create new and better bike models. Reinvigorate its longtime loyal following and try to hook new, younger buyers. It's going to be a tough road selling nostalgia and innovation at the same time. The Harley management is determined to make their new bikes as reliable as Honda. How do you do that? You go to Honda. The team from Milwaukee doesn't have to go far. They take a trip down I-94 East to Marysville, Ohio. Since 1979, it's been the U.S. home of Honda's motorcycle manufacturing, churning out around 100,000 bikes per year. The plant has an annual inspection failure rate of around 5%. Harley's is about 55%. Harley is no great threat to Honda, which is happy to give a tour to the competition, such as it is. The takeaway is a mix of utilizing advanced technology and well-orchestrated management. And Harley learns fast. The Mark has its own plans as well, and that includes amping up its one big happy family vibe. Harley is far from courting the Hell's Angels, but it offers a wide and muscular embrace to all hog enthusiasts. So what if they do look like the leather, long-haired outlaw riders that the company traditionally disdained? Willie G's been pushing this front for years, and by the 80s, with his uniform of a Harley t-shirt, denim and leather, and Harley beret bearing the winged HD logo, he looks like an outlaw biker himself. 
In 83, the Harley Owners Group is born, affectionately called Hog, a term that was once considered an insult in the halls of Harley. For $30 a year, members get highway rescue service if their bike breaks down, a nationwide registry of stolen bikes, and invitations to rallies and other functions. 30,000 riders join in the first year, evidence of a solid, die-hard fan base. Led by the gregarious Willie G, always a fan of mingling with the faithful, members of the Harley management team get up close and personal with their hog-loving public. The Milwaukee bosses host a series of rides around the country, hitting the road alongside sometimes hundreds of Harley customers, stopping at dealerships to party and rub shoulders. It's a mind-blowing experience for the new executives. When I took this job last month, I didn't expect this. It's a hell of a scene, Willie. There are hundreds of people milling around a dealership parking lot, approaching Willie G for a handshake, a hug, and a photo. It's great, isn't it? Hey, how you guys doing? Sure beats wearing a suit and sitting around a boardroom, doesn't it? Well, uh, my butt's a little more tender than after a day riding the desk, but who cares? <laughs> Excuse me, I'm going to go sign some helmets for these folks. Sign helmets? I can't believe people are this loyal. When I was at Ford, there was no way a customer would want an executive to sign their car. Well, you're not at Ford anymore. Welcome to the Harley family. But all that galvanizing outreach can't stop the fact that the economy is in terrible shape. Though Harley is doing better financially, it's far from being in the clear. In 1985, Citicorp threatens to call in its multi-million dollar loan and start asset liquidation. The following year, Harley takes out a full-page ad in the New York Times to announce that, once again, the company will be making a public stock offering. If Harley-Davidson were a cat, it would be down about four lives by now, but the ailing company lands on its feet once more. When the company is officially listed on the New York Stock Exchange, the public buys enough shares to keep the brand afloat. To celebrate, the company makes a commercial featuring the Milwaukee management parading through Manhattan in a sea of confetti and American flags. It's a display of nationalism that no other motorcycle brand can claim. Across the pond in England, Triumph declares bankruptcy in 1983. It's no great shock in the States. The company has long since dwindled in quality and quantity, another victim of the Japanese invasion. Its iconic logo, patent and manufacturing rights, are purchased by an English industrialist named John Bloor. He's determined to bring the brand back to life. Bloor hires a gifted team of young designers, and in 85, he takes his group on a tour of the state-of-the-art Kawasaki plant in Japan. There they find a computerized, spotless factory floor run by highly efficient management. Like Harley, Triumph suffers from outdated manufacturing technology. Staying technologically up-to-date has never been an issue in Japan. It's one of the many reasons the Japanese brands were able to grow so quickly and create machines that are mechanically sound and reliable. With no public fanfare, the Triumph team quietly begins work on a bike patterned largely after Kawasaki's new Ninja 900 GPZ model. It's a good choice to copy. The 503-pound Japanese sport bike is the first in its class to reach speeds of 150 miles per hour. 
It's technically advanced and offers a smooth ride. People love it. Rock icon Lou Reed is in that group, and he sings his own bike's praises in his 1984 song, New Sensations. Talking to new sensations I took my GPZ out for a ride The engine felt good between my thighs The air felt cold, it was 40 degrees outside With the template cemented, Bloor's team begins work. All told, he'll sink about $160 million of his own dollars into his venture, including a new 10-acre factory in England, complete with computerized machinery. In 1987, at a European engineering conference, Bloor displays photos of his prototype engine with the word Triumph stamped on the engine casing. For Triumph loyalists in the States and Europe, the astonishing rebirth is exciting news. Though he won't break even for another decade, Bloor's gamble pays off. Triumph is back in the game for an international market. The Triumph promo department sends posters of Marlon Brando astride his Triumph Thunderbird in the 1953 film The Wild One. It's a bit confusing for some stateside dealers. Some mistakenly believe he was on a Harley. Hey, Tommy, did you see those posters we got from England? Yeah, no way we could put those up. Brando's on a Triumph for crying out loud. No kidding. Must have doctored those things. Everybody knows he was riding a Harley in that movie. By 1987, Harley has regained its footing, rising from less than a quarter to over 40% of the heavyweight bike market. At this point, the company makes a bold gesture. It requests a cancellation of the tariff against the Japanese imports, a full year before it's scheduled to run out. It's a great public relations move, and a gracious telegraphing of Milwaukee's fearless forward motion. In 91, the company gets another plug from Hollywood. And it's a big one. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. (laughs) In Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Arnold's naked android character walks into a bar filled with rough-looking dudes and after trashing the joint, passes up a Yamaha bike and takes off on a 1990 Harley Fatboy model FLSTF. Like the Captain America Harley featured in the landmark movie Easy Rider, the Fatboy gets major screen time. And it's not some case of paid product placement either. Director James Cameron handpicks this bike to be the Terminator's high-performance ride. The movie is the top-grossing film not only of 1991, but of Schwarzenegger's career, and it kickstarts what will be good years for Harley-Davidson. Motorcycles are on an upswing. There are over 30 million riders in the States alone. By the end of 91, Harley can claim over 60% of the heavyweight bike market share, outdistancing all imports in that category. Four years later, the company is turning out 100,000 bikes a year. Harley gets a lucky break from its biggest competitor. As the 90s roll in, Honda focuses on its well-received cars. Which is not to say that Honda bikes are disappearing. The company hit its production high in 1982, making almost 3 million motorcycles. Those numbers have decreased, but the Japanese Titan still outsells any domestic competitor. On the other end of the spectrum, 
Boutique bike brands are popping up, though their outputs don't threaten Harley. Big Dog, Ultra, Titan, California Motorcycle Company, to name just a few. And in 1999, Milwaukee's long-gone rival returns from the grave. The Indian Motorcycle Company goes into production in Gilroy, California, making the Chief, Scout, and Spirit models. They're well-made, but the company doesn't last. It goes bankrupt in 2003. Then, in 2011, the brand is purchased by Polaris Industries, a Minnesota-based multi-billion dollar manufacturing company that makes recreational vehicles. In rebirthing the redesigned, technically improved Indian two years later, Polaris isn't messing around. The new and improved Indian models are met with a warm reception from the aging riders who've been faithful for decades. These are basically the same kinds of folks who love Harley, but chose the competitor. These choices are often personal. You ride a Harley or Indian because your dad or brother did, and rarely change. The Indian motorcycle brand is part of the fabric of American culture, and we've been on a mission to build the most iconic bike in the history of motorcycles, the Indian Chief, and reclaim its rightful place at the front of the pack. The V-twin engine on the massive $19,000 bike is even bigger than Harley's largest motor. The machines are beautiful, powerful, and retain the classic Indian look. The mark captures 5% of the heavyweight market within a year. It's barely a dent in Harley's 57% overall market share. But with the massive support of Polaris, Indian is firmly on the map in a way it hasn't been since the 1950s. And it's the only American motorcycle that can stir up deep brand name loyalty and nostalgia, other than Harley Davidson. In March of 2012, an era is officially over in Milwaukee. After 49 years, Willie G. Davidson, Senior Vice President and Chief Styling Officer, announces his retirement. He's the most recognizable personality in the company's 109-year history. The man who gave Harley riders the Super Glide, the Low Rider, the Fat Boy, the V-Rod, and the Street Glide. At 79, Willie G is getting old. So are a lot of Harley riders. And that's going to be a problem. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? 
Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's the July 4th weekend, 2017 in Hollister, California, a small town with a notorious history. In 1947, thousands of boozed-up outlaw bikers gunned their Harleys into bars and restaurants and brawled on the streets, scaring law-abiding Americans. Seventy years later, it's happening again. Riders fill the streets. A bearded, heavyset, leather-clad rider in his 60s roars his Harley hog to a stop in front of a restaurant on San Benito Street. Dusty from the road, he ambles into the quiet place and steps up to the bar. Can I get you something to drink? Hell yeah! Have you got a nice Chardonnay? I have a uh, 2003 Piper's Brook that's quite refreshing. Sounds delightful. The biker takes a small sip. He gazes out the window at the afternoon sun glinting off the chrome of his $38,000 CVO Street Glide Harley. Hmm. Buttery yet crisp. I've been riding all morning, and I'm famished. I think I'll start with a wood oven balsamic and bacon flatbread, and uh, then let's see. How's the cedar plank salmon? Times have changed. By the 2000s, the big bikes, especially Harleys, have become status symbols ridden by doctors, lawyers, executives, and celebrities looking for weekend warrior street cred. Mainly upper-middle-class conservative white males with plenty of disposable income. These gainfully employed upscale enthusiasts have pushed aside the outcasts, outlaws, and blue-collar hog lovers of decades past. But now, these baby boomers who made good money and sparked Harley sales in the 80s and 90s are retiring, and some can no longer ride. Maybe they've lost interest or have bad hips. U.S. sales peaked in 2006 with 260,000 bikes sold and profits over $1 billion. But they've been dropping steadily. The Harley brand has long been a visual representation of the all-American spirit. In other words, if you're a politician, linking yourself to Harley is a good thing. After President Reagan grandly saved Harley's neck in the 80s, Bill Clinton, Sarah Palin, George W. Bush, Dan Quayle, Newt Gingrich, Jesse Jackson, Ann Richards, and all sorts of other politicos have posed for photo ops astride the symbolic machines. President Donald Trump does them all one better. In 2017, he has the Harley executive crew ride their bikes to the White House for lunch. It makes good political sense for Trump as he's pushing his America First trade platform. Whenever I go, whenever there's a motorcycle group, oftentimes it's a Harley, and the sound of that Harley is a little different, I have to tell you. It's really good. So thank you, Harley Davidson, for building things in America. I think you're gonna a few months later, the president cancels a $3 million fine levied by the Obama administration against Harley. The company had been penalized for making a device that cut off emission controls on their motorcycles. And then... The Trump-Harley love fest goes bad. The president's trade war, raising tariffs on imported steel and aluminum, sparks a backlash from the European Union. It increases tariffs on Harley's imports from 6% to 
to 31%. That means each bike sold in Europe will have its price tag raised by $2,200. It also means a $100 million loss for Harley. To counter that, the Milwaukee company announces it will relocate some production to Europe. This does not sit well with the president. President Trump backing a boycott of Harley-Davidson. This, as the American motorcycle manufacturer is increasingly investing in production facilities overseas over the tariff fight. President Trump saying, quote, many Harley-Davidson owners plan to boycott the company if manufacturing moves overseas. Great. Most other companies are coming in our direction, including Harley's competitors. What they're doing is a really bad move. The U.S. will soon have a... But Harley does indeed continue with the plan to make bikes overseas. By late 2018, the whole thing blows over. But Harley continues to make bikes abroad, where its sales have grown. In fact, the company predicts that by 2027, more than half of its sales will come from overseas. But stateside... 2018 sales plummet by 13% compared to the previous year. The company remains strong, but its future depends on the difficult task of attracting the millennial market. The image of the old grizzled Harley rider on a lumbering heavyweight hog is deeply ingrained. For a youthful demographic looking for something fast, light, and affordable, if they're looking at motorcycles at all, Harley faces a serious test. To meet that millennial challenge, it will introduce the Livewire model, an electric bike set to hit showrooms in September 2019. The 550-pound machine can go 0 to 60 in 3 seconds with a top speed of 110 miles per hour. It's been a decade in the making, and Harley is putting everything behind it, from design to marketing. But at $28,000, it's not cheap which could be a major deterrent to younger people without deep pockets. So, what's the future for Harley-Davidson? After 116 years, Harley has outlived hundreds of motorcycle businesses and survived what seemed like certain extinction time and time again. The Harley-Davidson bar and shield is ingrained in America's cultural fabric. Whether that will be the case generations down the road is anybody's guess, but for now, the story of Harley-Davidson keeps rolling on. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. I hope you enjoyed this series, Harley and the Biker Wars. Can't get enough of Business Wars? Well, check out Business Wars Daily. We'll keep you up to date on the most compelling competitions in commerce today and the time it takes to polish a gas tank. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. You can also support us by answering a short survey at wondery.com survey. And don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations in this episode. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Peter Gilstrap wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer-Beckman. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louis, created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering.
For over 100 years, General Motors was America's automaker. But after the 2008 financial crisis, the storied car company nearly died. Hi, I'm Lindsey Graham, host of Wondery Show, Business Movers. We tell the true stories of business leaders who risked it all, the critical moments that define their journey, and the ideas that transform the way we live our lives. In our latest series, an HR executive named Mary Barra rises to become General Motors' first female CEO, just in time to save the company from ruin. But as Mary fights to lead General Motors into the future, tragedy strikes. Listen to General Motors Back from the Dead from Business Movers on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or the Wondery app. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.